Hey everybody, before we get into this week's episode, we just wanted to take a quick minute because this this show, obviously, you know, we talk about a lot of different things, but one of the things we really do like to do is, is uplift and affirm, you know, black film and black actors. And we we lost one of our greatest actors this week with, with Michael Clay Williams passing. And we just wanted to take a quick second before this episode starts to give him his flowers and... Uh, pay respect to him and, and his work and his legacy because he you know he's he's legendary he's somebody who was still like last time we saw him doing some of the best work that anybody was doing in film and and playing roles mm -hmm. that black people needed to see like he was playing characters and bringing people to life that you're not seeing anybody else do in, in any other way so uh cameron did you want to say say a few words uh, well, definitely. Um, I'm sure, like myself, I'm sure one of the first places you saw him was The Wire, being that we're both from Baltimore, yeah, yeah. and we probably both watched that show. And I said it on Twitter earlier today that when I saw Michael Kenneth Williams in The Wire, I instantly assumed that he was just an actor from Baltimore that they found and put him in this role because I had never seen him before. He sounded like he he sounded like <laughs> he sounded like he lived down the street. Right. On top of being such an interesting nuanced character, like the first time you see him and he's he's this like warrior, bounty hunter, like all these different things. And but also like a queer man also it was just, I felt like once I started seeing him, I felt like I was seeing 10, 20 stories I had never seen before yeah. in my life. And that's a testament to honestly, his warmth as an actor and like sheer talent. I've, I feel like I've never seen him give less than a hundred percent. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. And, and every role, I think he really brought part of his, his real life, you know, to his work because you could definitely see the pain in, in some of his roles and just his, 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 there was, yeah, there was like overwhelming hurt in his characters, but there was overwhelming like empathy yeah. in his characters too. Right. And Which is some, that's, that was the thing that threw me, threw me for a loop. The empathy that was just shining through. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really the thing, right? I mean, even in that DMX tribute he did, just a oh few my months god ago. that was i was my jaw was on the floor yeah like he with like the he had that same energy he had that same energy that x had yeah but he was like giving it in a completely different way but like you were seeing him through that even that was shout out that moment honestly because yeah. that was incredible for sure and just in the tributes that you're you're reading and seeing from all the people that worked with him, even if it was just one time, mm -hmm. you know, like it may not have been something like the wire where they worked with him over and over again. They may have just shared a couple scenes together, but nobody, nobody has anything bad to say about him. But furthermore, everybody has such fond and warm memories of who he was as a person yeah. and just the kind of spirit that he had, whether they met him at a random party or event, whether he came to speak at their school, whether he just, 
like bumped into you on the street and you were just like Omar like he really took the time to give back to everybody but specifically back to the black community he was very invested in yeah you know making I I see no go ahead go ahead oh just making sure that we saw ourselves you know in the work that he did like he did it he did it for us he was doing it for us he did it for us he did it for the next generation yeah I see tons of videos of him like always talking to younger people just making sure that they know that they have power you know Mm -hmm. in them that they that they can create work that can change people's lives they it lives through them too yeah for sure so yeah we just wanted to you know thank michael for you know his work and his gifts yes. and, and everything that he gave us not just as an actor but as a person and just you know the- as a person and as an artist and as a human honestly because we could all be a little bit more like him honestly for i sure. feel like uh so you know we salute you michael rest in peace salute uh, salute but yeah, well, let's let's get on to the episode. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is the podcast that just dives deep into the crazy world of white savior films, uh, deconstructs them, and then we recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. Because these movies keep getting wilder and wilder as we go along. <laughs> Unfortunately, this week, my co-host Cameron, he's a working actor. He's got auditions and a lot of stuff going on, so he couldn't make it this week. But we were able to pull a very, 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 very special guest, Miss Stephanie Williams. Hey, thank you for the invite. I'm happy you, to be here. Yeah, of course. If you don't know Stephanie, you should know Stephanie. But uh, she does a, a lot of things. She's been a pop culture critic for a lot of different places. Sci-Fi Fangirls, Marvel, AV Club, Nerdist, Rotten Tomatoes. Also has a ton of great, great, great web comics that you should be checking out, like Living Heroes, it's kind of like living single, but with all the black Marvel heroes. And then What If Though, which is almost, it's kind of timely, right? Because the What If show is coming out. So now, you know, people can kind of direct themselves towards you if, if they like it. But then most importantly, most recently announced and very, very exciting, uh, going to be co-writing the new Nubia comic. For those who don't know, Nubia is the black Wonder Woman. That is not a made-up thing that <laughs> literally the Black Wonder Woman uh, it has been the Black Wonder Woman since like the 70s. So it's not even like a thing they just made up and threw out there. So congratulations on all that. Very Thank exciting. you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm writing it right now and it's been whooping my behind. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like it's different because Nubia has been around since the 70s, but literally has no kind of history. Yeah. So it's weird. Um, so it's great in one way because we can create that history, but mm-hmm. scary in another because it's like, ooh, but what if we do the wrong thing? I don't yeah. think so, but um, <laughs> it's only up. She was made out of uh, a darker clay. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you mm-hmm. can only go up from there. Well, you know, I think you guys have, have a good team in place and definitely have yes, a lot. Absolutely. Have a lot to work with because Nubia is a fantastic character. Um mm-hmm. 
the new BRO one graphic novel that came out earlier this year. It was so good. And I feel like there's definitely a place for Nubia in terms of like people really wanting a character like that to exist and needing a character like that to exist. So absolutely. Well, Stephanie, I feel like I, I kind of need you to explain yourself because you chose a movie that is sure to bring down hell on our inbox when this episode comes out. It is, it is a fairly, it wasn't such when it came out, but has turned into right. a, a cult film and one that a lot of people hold near and dear to their hearts now, specifically on Tumblr and other sections of the internet. It is, it is considered a classic, like legit Disney classic. Tell the people what movie we're going to be talking about this week. All right. We are talking about Disney's Atlanta's The Lost City. Oh, oh, wow. The Lost Empire. Well, might as well have been seen the way they rolled up in there. But um, I chose this movie because it was one that I actually was pretty obsessed with um, the first time I seen it. Um, Maya has like a lead song on it. I was a huge Maya fan at the time. Still am. And um, Cree Summers, like the voice of our youth. So right. I completely understand why people love this movie so much. And I still love it as well, even though it makes absolutely no sense that these Atlanteans, <laughs> I mean, this white man to come down there and figure out the secrets to their culture. That is actually really hilarious and sad. But <laughs> as we've, um, as the internet has grown and uh, folks are able to like really share their thoughts on just storytelling, different tropes, um, we are starting to realize a lot of stuff that we grew up on, you know, white people. Yeah. And I think this is kind of a perfect movie to explore in terms of how white savior movies are kind of propagated because we do get them in a lot of different flavors and a lot of different styles. And the animated movie is a place where I think it is, it can go up, like overlooked mm-hmm. because you know, when you're just taking your, when you're taking your kid to go see a movie or people think about animation and cartoons, they don't really think in terms of them having deeper narratives or storylines. There was a lot of stuff, especially, you know, growing up where people are like, Disney puts secret messages in their movies. Like look in the background, you'll, you won't believe what you'll see. But, you know, there's, there's always, you know, weird stuff that people want to throw in there. But when it comes to just like the movies themselves, like, specifically Disney's boom, you know, like late 80s going into the 90s where you had, mm-hmm. you know, all the princess movies, but then you had original stuff like The Lion King and Aladdin, and you know, people really, really, really like loving these films and them basically becoming what animation was, right? Like if it wasn't a Disney movie, it's not that it wasn't, you know, successful, but like Disney and animation were synonymous. Like if it's a Disney movie, it's an animated movie, it's guaranteed to be good uh like people will love it like take your family to go see it and so this was a very interesting turn for disney because it came out in 2001 and it was very much so the departure from a lot of things that they had been doing at the time because there's no music in it it's rated pg which is just one extra letter than they usually give you and it it's a weird movie in that it does tend to skew more adult in terms of content and theme but still tries to keep it kid and family friendly. So there is kind of this weird mix of like, when you look at it, they are talking about, you know, colonialism and, you know, capitalism and all these different things, but not really getting too deep into it because it's a children's movie. So they don't really really discuss it. They just kind of like skirt around it. 
But this is a movie that is made by some Disney heavyweights because it is by Gary Trousdale, Kirk Wise, who are behind Beauty and the Beast. They're behind uh, Hunts Back in Notre Dame. And that was their last movie before this one came out. And they were very, 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 very adamant about, you know, trying something new and wanting to break out of the box and do this movie that people wouldn't necessarily think about when they think about Disney. And so what we get is this movie (laughs) that explores Atlantis, the lost continent, which we'll get into this in in the kind of like research and um, reception part, but Atlantis is a weird thing in and of itself because like people debate where Atlantis actually was and like just all different theories about what, what happened to it, if it was even real, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they did a lot of just internet research, which in 2001, you can even imagine what that right. consisted of. That's I just dial tone. Yeah. Dial up right now. Dial tone when, when you had to not even just wait for a website to like scroll down, like to load all the way, but we were still dealing with like, that was when the internet was a flash animation. Like that was a website. Like we go (laughs) and just watch a flash animation of like a cat or something. And that was the, that was the whole thing. So we've come a long way, but trying to do internet research back in the day is, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's funny too. um, The fact that if they did it all on the internet, that we still got brown people um, in Atlantis. So I will give them that point. Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, stood out the most to me when I saw this the first time, because I was like, oh, wait, mm. brown folks in the water, which I wasn't expecting, because like as far as when I think of like Atlantis, I was thinking like DC with Aquaman or mm-hmm. thankfully with Marvel, um, as far as like Namor is concerned and like that, that whole um, Atlantis is a little bit more, you know, more PLCs. But right. for the most part, the depictions of Atlantis that I have seen have been like you know, white folks. Yeah. So going into it, I was like, okay, well, this is cute. <laughs> it, it, it is interesting because if we go kind of down the um, the cast here, you have Michael J. Fox, who's the lead starring as Milo, which it is interesting because Michael J. Fox, obviously by this point, had basically retired from being on screen in any mm-hmm. way, shape or form. Like he had really just gone straight into doing the voice acting. So this was kind of a, a, a pretty big role for him. You've got James Gardner as Rourke, the, the villain of the movie, which was pretty interesting. You've got Phil Morris from so many different things, but people might recognize him most recently as Dr. Silas Stone from the yeah. Duke Patrol show. Uh, Leonard Nimoy is in this movie as the voice of the Atlantean King. And then of course you have Cree Summer as Princess Princess Kida. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, Jim Farney, there's a lot of, you know, really great talent in this movie. And the other thing we have to talk about before we get into the movie itself is that it was animation-wise pretty much based on Mike Mignola and his you know, drawing style. Yeah. And, the, and the animation for this is very impressive, specifically for the time. Like, it is something that was another huge departure from a lot of Disney movies because when this was coming out, this was like... Pixar had like a few in the can, not really that much, but that was kind of the turning point of animation. Shrek came out the same year uh, and that was a big hit. And Lara Croft, uh, Tomb Raider, which mm-hmm. another another movie yep. 
that is a favorite of mine, but you know. <laughs> but back to back to Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, so this movie comes out in 2001. Mm-hmm. It is directed by white people, is written by white people, is produced by white people. There is, if you watch the behind the scenes featurette, there is one black man that you see a couple of times who is on the animation team. But that's besides besides that person, Phil Morris and Cree Summer. There's no black people involved in this movie at all. Uh, it, so, shows. <laughs> uh, it does because this movie, uh, just getting into it, is about Milo, mm-hmm. who's the main character, who basically go. He basically knows everything there is to know about Atlantis. And is obsessed with going to Atlantis. Figures out a way to get down there with this kind of mercenary like adventuring team and then teaches the people of Atlantis about Atlantis. Like they don't know anything about the place that they live. He knows everything about the place that they live, including their language, including just all of their rituals and how to work their technology based on uh, research, I guess. It's not really clear what he, how he's guarded all this information. He does get a book at one point that kind of fits some things together, but it's like, he just, he just knows. It's crazy because like if he would know, if he's able to, you know, um, ascertain this information, why on earth would the people in Atlantis not be able to do that? Like how I'm, I'm not, because not everyone perished um, when things came crashing down. Like there are some elders left and later on in the movie, we find out that the father kept some secrets, but even still, even with that, um, it is just mind boggling to me that Milo came and just blew the lid wide open on all of these secrets. And it's like, you all have been down here for a very long time. No one figured this out. No one no. questioned the king. No one, no one did any of those things. And, you know, it's very Disney in that way, in that formula. <laughs> because we're yeah. seeing it in the MCU as well. Like mm-hmm. the Disney formula runs deep. Yeah. Well, they've got white saviors. That's their that's their that's their formula. Well, I mean, if you know enough about Walt Disney, I guess it does it does track. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But even off the, I mean, help me figure this out because Mm -hmm. this was this you you said that you saw this movie in theaters when it came out, and then obviously watched it again recently. I have never seen this movie before, so this is my first time watching it. I was very confused off the jump because what is what is happening at the very beginning of this movie atlantis is being attacked by that's not clear it's not clear <laughs> until the very end that you learn that oh like they like the king tried to harness his power the power became sentient and because you know with great power comes great responsibility because these brown people didn't know what they were doing true clearly this was stories telling us yeah. uh that they were the victims of their uh, I guess that their own hubris, um, and because yeah, and that's wow, how crappy, right? That <laughs> <laughs> the only folks that are really capable of great power are usually non-black or non-people of color. I mean, white folks, basically. Like they, right. they're the ones that can do this thing. Um, is why like stories of Atlantis, um, how the pyramids got built, and all of that is either oh, it had to be alien technology because there's just no way. that uh, black or brown people would have been possible, I mean, able to do this. So at the beginning of the movie, like you see this, um, these tsunamis coming in to destroy the city. 
Um, and it's saved or some of it's saved because um, Kita's mom uh, merges with the crystal and um, guards it that way. And then she's gone because yeah. you're with a crystal for too long, you become one with it. And then somehow maybe a book or something was floating and that's what Milo got a hold of. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> yes, the beginning of the movie tells us that uh, the civilization had been around for so long, um, didn't know how to build their own power, which, okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild because what you see of Atlantis at the beginning is this very, very advanced, like it's basically alien culture at that point because they've got flying ships they seemingly are running on completely clean energy like it's uh it's just superior to any like even things that we have today um and it is running on crystal technology uh which we don't get (laughs) that much information on further yet like it's just it's the life force of atlantis is what we learn later in the movie but from there we do go straight to meeting milo and He's working in a Smithsonian basically as like he keeps the the steam running, the coal uh, yeah. <laughs> pumping in the in the basement, but also is a very I guess he's a linguist, you know, first and foremost. It's um, a marginalized um, linguist, yeah. <laughs> linguist, which um, okay, yeah, whatever that means. He's he's trying to pick it up uh and really like is i guess at his his wits end in terms of trying to get his expedition to atlantis funded uh Mm -hmm. because everybody's just like go somewhere else with that please don't tell me about this anymore like we're done with this he basically threatens to to quit his job but um uh yeah i mean the guy the guy he's starting to quit too is like you ain't even gonna do that like just stop just go home and when he goes home, he is met by Helga Sinclair, who is working for um, Preston B. Whitmore, who is an eccentric millionaire that used to know Milo's late grandfather. And we're going to stop there for just a second because... Always a grandfather. Always a grandfather. But let me drop this in. Can we just talk about how I'm fairly certain that Milo's grandfather is a colonizer because he looks like a colonizer. This is 1914. If his grandfather was doing any adventuring or expeditioning uh, in the 1800s, it probably wasn't above board or just purely for the sake of expedition. Like there's some other nefarious stuff going on there. And if he's traveling with these people who are clearly mercenaries in their own right, then uh, like this whole thing kind of gets turned on its head off jump because he's he wants to be his grandfather and father in his grandfather's footsteps and we're told that he's a great adventurer and all this stuff but i have questions about what that adventure entailed what are your thoughts stephanie uh same i instantly (laughs) thought like you know how many small civilizations have you decimated uh going over there and bringing diseases and illnesses that these folks weren't, um, you know, they'd never been exposed to, like, how did you build your riches? Riches, Like, how many things mm-hmm. did you, artifacts and whatnot, did you take um, for the sake of education um, mm-hmm. in order to make a living? So it's just really wild to me. Like, even growing up, it doesn't really click. Like, you just hear adventurer. And you're just like, oh, yeah. yeah, like, this is great. Like, the first person we kind of learn about is freaking Christopher Columbus. Mm-hmm. And even though we're told that um, he decimated 
lots of populations. Um, he's still got a day and is still celebrated. So yeah. watching this as an adult, it's just kind of like, yikes. Uh, yeah. Of course, Milo, like uh, he's supposed to be this sympathetic protagonist, this hero, but he comes from a long line of colonizers. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's it's one of the things when you try to set these movies in these historical contexts mm -hmm. and create these characters where it's just like adventure, like a lot of this is based on, you know, Jules Verne style adventuring, but yep. like even that, I mean, like you know, John Carter is kind of supposed to, like, he's a Confederate soldier that goes to Mars and then fights to free the Martians from, you know, so it's it's all very confused in, in kind of the execution, but when you try to pull on those pulp threads, like, a lot of the times there are things underneath that you're probably not considering, you know, if you're just mm -hmm. like, oh, I used to love that as a kid and I want to do that again, because that's, that's, an ongoing theme when we talk about these movies on this podcast is that for white people when they watch these movies and when they make these movies there's a very different perspective than the black people and people of color who are watching these movies and being are like are into these movies are the people of color in these movies and so a lot of the times we're not coming at it from the same perspective as the protagonist or like the hero of the movie because we're just like but what about these brown people <laughs> going <laughs> And, and you bring up a really great point. And this is why, like, uh, whenever a movie or a show goes back in time, I'm just kind of like, so like, are y'all going to go back where the dinosaurs are? Because if it's mm -hmm. not there, I'm not really interested in any of the in-between. Maybe the latest we can go back is the 80s. I'll give you yeah, that. Right. But anything from, like, 1979 on down and before the dinosaurs go extinct, I'll give you the Ice Age. I'll give you mm -hmm. that. Okay. But anything like between it, I'm just kind of like, I don't know, because for a lot of us, that's not a good, that's not a fun time. No. Um, or it maybe it could be if the movies or the show or there's just a story in itself focused on, you know, what was happening at this time before white people got involved, then mm, I'll take mm -hmm. that. But okay. once, um, you know, white people set foot wherever it is that they enter it's just all hell breaks loose and you're right i mean yeah like if for white folks when they're like writing these stories and stuff like that it's this big um you know like these tall tales these this um this fun adventure thing because you don't they don't really have to consider all the other things um they have yeah. to consider the fact that um you know while you know you're Great great grandfather is riding through the antebellum south and going on an adventure or whatever for some gold um, that he's riding through slave plantations. So, yeah. I just watching movies like this as an adult and just kind of knowing things uh, that that you kind of know now is kind of like, oh man, that sucks. Yeah, because <laughs> like you, and this is a fun movie. It can be a fun movie, but unfortunately, it's 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 tainted a little bit because you don't have any choice but to consider the fact that um, here's this white guy coming down here to save these brown people. Like, it, that is yeah. literally the plot. Well, we, we get to meet some of the other characters uh, after ah, Milo yes. is kind of brought in. But even before, so Milo, we'll have to mention this because Milo does get a journal uh, which is kind of like the the crux of the whole plot. He has this journal that he's deciphering throughout the movie that 
again, not really clear on it. it like they kind of try to give us a little bit of, oh, like it was in Iceland and it was lost a long time ago. And, you know, these people found it. And here's this book that basically tells you how to get to Atlantis and other things about Atlantis. And so that's why he's brought onto this team because he's the person who can decipher this language and help lead this group of ragtag adventurers slash mercenaries over to Atlantis. So we have Helga Sinclair, who's kind of like femme fatale, second in charge yes. woman. We've got Commander Rourke, who was also on the initial expedition that found this journal with Milo's grandfather. So it's, it's unclear how old he is, but Milo's grandfather is old. Like he's an old yeah. man. So, <laughs> unless he was just old when this happened, or I'm not quite sure. It's never that. Just that was my assumption. I was like, let me just roll with that. <laughs> um, there's Vinny, who's a demolitions expert from Italy. There's Moliere, who's a geologist, also looks basically like a mole man yeah. from France. Dr. Sweet, who is a medical officer. Audrey, who is a mechanic. Miss Packard, who's the radio operator. And I kind of clocked this. I think she gets it in, like listening to the way that she talks and like, she's, she's, she's up to more than just operating that radio. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> she's on the back channels. Because <laughs> the way she's talking to her, she's talking to her friends throughout too. Like you kind of get glimpses of the conversation. And I'm like, she's, she's, she's doing more than playing bridge on the weekends. <laughs> and is there anybody else on that? Oh, there's Cookie, who is mm-hmm. kind of like the, the cook. Um, and that's basically the team. There's a bunch of like red shirt, you know, people running around in the background who are there to also help them get to where they're getting to. But they are in this huge submarine. And again, I think it's fair to point out this this looks great, like animation wise, yes. like the way that everything is is because it's a it's a mix of hand drawn animation and the beginnings of like a lot of this different 3D animation. And so and based again on Mike Magnola's art style. So it, it has a really cinematic look that I think kind of differentiates it from a lot of other Disney animations, specifically of the time. Yeah. You know what it made me think of? And I think another reason why I really enjoyed this movie um, when I was younger, um, Prince of Egypt. So DreamWorks at the time was like really killing the game. Um, And then like, of course they had Shrek or whatever, but it, I think this was for Disney at the time, as close as they were to like, kind of, you know, doing the same thing DreamWorks did with their animation. Yeah. And so they, they start to go down deeper and deeper trying to find Atlantis and are attacked by, like, I guess it's a, it's, they call it a Leviathan. I guess it's just a guardian ship that's guarding Atlantis. I, I guess set to autopilot because like, they don't know how to work any of this. So I guess it's just doing what it's set to do forever. Uh, but <laughs> there is, there is a big robotic monster that is guarding the entrance to Atlantis. And this is where this movie turns a bit in the sense of just like the action and the violence. Cause like people die. Like, a lot of yeah, people die in this. Terribly scene. too. <laughs> so if you were expecting to just watch, you know, typical Disney movie where maybe like the ship goes down or like, you know, some people are kind of like blasted at, but you don't see the after effects of it. They kill people. And then when they get to the shore, there is kind of a moment where they like look back and are like, we lost half the crew. Like a lot of people just died, <laughs> which is like, whoa, all right. Like this took a more adult turn than I even. That's where that P came in. Right. The P for the G. 
but we get 40 minutes into this movie and we're still not at Atlantis, which is kind of confusing. Which is me. wild because, <laughs> no, it is. Because uh, when I, because uh, I just watched it today and I'm like, 45 now. Like, when are we going to get to Atlantis? Like, how? Because the movie at the same, like, the movie feels shorter than it actually is. And yeah. I, maybe that could be because um, for me personally, I didn't really start paying attention, attention until we actually got to Atlantis. For sure. Oh, just to backtrack a bit, because there's there's two important things that happened uh, before we get to this part where half the crew is is killed. <laughs> um, so one, we get this travel montage. They basically go down beneath the ocean and then get to this point. It's a like it's a weird description that Milo has where it's like you you kind of get sucked through this tube and then you end up like mm-hmm. in which I guess under like under the earth, like inside the earth. Is it a hollow Wait, earth? He, uh, <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. I'm like, are you all going to see King Kong? <laughs> so they're they're kind of in a weird inside the earth, hollow earth situation. And Milo is just goofy. Like he is incapable of walking straight. Like he can't climb over a rock. Like they're basically getting ready to leave him halfway through because he just can't keep up. Uh, and this is the same character at the end of the movie who's flying on a mechanical like fish rocket and uh, like just, uh, basically leading leading the charge and saving the day. Uh, it's kind of this weird. Obviously, what they're going for is like Milo is kind of like nerdy and awkward, and I don't know if this was their intention, but I'm getting a real nice guy energy from Milo. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's a part of the formula. You need that. But see, that's why it's insidious. Um, for a lot of the because like you're right like those characters have a lot of the same characteristics because um if the care if let's say Rourke was the one who saved Atlantis you're Mm. probably less likely to be okay with that yeah but when you have a character like Milo who is essentially harmless as a kitty cat then you know you're not really thinking of him as this evil white guy and he's not Mm -hmm. inherently evil at all but um, he's just, you know, sticking his nose in business and you know, brown folks' business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. it's a hobby. We'll we'll really get into that when we get to the end of this because I have a lot of thoughts on Milo and people's reactions to him. <laughs> but we as we as we continue on, like we're we're at this part where oh wait, before we get to that, one more thing. Because this this is where the movie does get very interesting is you know, we we meet Sweet, we meet Audrey. Sweet is a uh, black man, Audrey is a uh, Latina woman. And they have this very brief, like, they're all sitting around a campfire just talking. And you get more in 10 seconds from both Sweet and Audrey than you get from Milo in the whole movie, just in terms of like characterization and background. Because we do learn that Sweet is, a, I mean, one, in 1914, Sweet is a doctor which is like, okay. And like, I think he went to Howard or something. Yeah, like he's in, so like he is actually in medical school before he's drafted. Yeah. But I thought it was kind of interesting that they went along the lines of um, his dad marrying a woman who was um, indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um, so like from a tribe and that tells me like, if you, if they had enough thought to like put that little nugget in there to kind of make it, I guess, make sense that this black man would uh, be on his way to becoming a doctor um, and like, you know, 
he's far along than um, any other black person around this time because we're just we're mm-hmm. just coming out of reconstruction. Um, if they did that, then that tells me that you knew damn well that the grandfather colonizing and all of that. So I don't know, like that part really made me sit back and say, then why, then why go this direction with this movie? Yeah. As far as like with Milo, if you could put that little piece in, um, because that's, I, I don't know, like to me that that's putting a little extra thought into trying to make, uh, you know, make it make sense that this black man would be, you know, almost a doctor in the yeah. nineteen in nineteen fourteen. So, yeah. you know that that stuck out to me. Um, and the same thing with Audrey. Audrey. Yeah. So, um, you know, <laughs> go ahead and make your POCs interesting because you've done a little extra research. But then, if you go that far, then why center a white man in this movie? And in such a way that you really don't get more than this like brief section for for either character because it's kind of like a oh okay let's catch our breath everybody just kind of introduce yourself Mm -hmm. you know moment of the movie so everybody like it's not just these two everybody's kind of giving you their background and like where they come from but we don't really get anything else from sweet and audrey for the rest of the movie because like they're basically not just relegated to helping milo but just kind of being like, they kind of blend in with with everybody else who yeah. is, you know, part of this this crew that's like, like the numbers kind of fluctuate because they tell you that half the crew died, but then at the end, like there's still a bunch of them around. So yeah, it's not- Like I came down here deep. Yeah, it's unclear how many actually, I mean, it was a big submarine, so I can believe that there yeah. were a lot of people on it, but at the same time, like when we get to the final battle of the movie, like, it's not just them and like six other people. It's like them and like at least 30, 40 other, you know, kind of mercenary type folk. But yeah, I think that's the other thing is you don't really get a sense of why, you get a sense of why they're all together from the standpoint of like money and, you know, they're specialists. Mm -hmm. So they're all kind of doing, but this seems like they've been on missions before. Like this isn't the first mission they've been on before. So you never really get more in terms of their relationship as a group and kind of how they relate to each other. Because you you hear them say, as we you know find out that Atlantis is a place that's populated by people that like, oh, usually when we do this, it's like empty or nobody gets hurt mm-hmm. or we're not we're not doing so. They they seem to have some moral code when it comes to the missions that they choose and just not wanting to be harmful or destructive. Yeah. Even though with the work in charge, that seems. To not I can't believe that's true but I mean I found it really hard like this is the very first time that you know people have gotten hurt and I think uh, one of the characters mentions well people that we know didn't get right. hurt but I guess right. now it changes because they know they've gotten to know um, the people of Atlantis and I'm kind of like how did this group I want to know like how this group got together because right. it's just so because there is a, a nice mix of men and women Mm-hmm. Um and way more people of color than I would have expected, like on the team. So like, 
I'm a little curious as to like how that came about, but mm-hmm. I'll just chop it up to um, Disney saying, hey, let's just throw some extra characters mm-hmm. in here. A little extra um, spice in this movie. Yeah, a little extra spice. <laughs> Another reason why if you're watching this movie, you're probably really not getting hung up on the fact that at its core, it is a white savior trope mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Well, and that becomes clear into the the next part where they have made a base camp. I guess these are just, I can't tell if these were Atlantean technology or if it was like creatures that lived in Atlantis, but they were these firefly creatures that are Mm -hmm. giving light to different parts of this cave area. And they set alight the campsite and kind of drive all the people there out and in this sequence, you know, Milo kind of gets thrown and is injured. And here we finally meet the Atlanteans in another moment that I think we, we kind of have to uh, slow down and, and just kind of consider this because when you first meet the Atlanteans, they are wearing a strange mix of at least what I took to be like African type mask, like tribal masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have some spear-like weaponry. They do kind of have some, you know, indigenous look to them, some kind of Pacific Islander type, like tattooing and things of that nature. So it is this whole mix of cultures. The creators of the movie did mention that they basically threw a bunch of different cultures at each other. Mm-hmm. They don't mention Africa. And that's why I was kind of like, but that, I mean, the, the, am I wrong in those masks looking like, yeah. Not at all. No, not, <laughs> not at all. It just really seemed like they did like a, they had like a, a dartboard up with different, you know, culture like Mayan, um, you, know, you know, maybe a couple tribes in Kenya or something mm. like that. And they just kind of like threw the darts and like, yeah, okay, now put all that together. And like, that's the thing um, yeah. that we're going to do here. Um and I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but also like why that, like why would the civilization have to, re- I guess, resort all the way back to pretty much kind of like the stone age when, I mean, I get that the city was destroyed, but like, again, there's still some stuff left. Yeah. So we see, this is kind of just a weird moment where Kida, who is the princess of Atlantis, mm-hmm happens upon Milo he's been injured and she uses her I guess magical crystal abilities to heal him and then they just kind of run off and so Milo is chasing them they get to I guess what is like the the mouth of the cave which then enters into Atlantis proper so we finally get to see Atlantis again looks very cool Jesus (laughs) but here this is this is the first sign of things going very wrong because Milo sees Kida and the rest of, you know, the Atlanteans she's with and begins to try to communicate with her and Atlantean. She's able to recognize the language that he's speaking. They start to trade different languages until they finally get to French in which Moliere is like, oh, you speak French. And then everybody just starts talking. And it it's a weird interaction because Milo definitely sounds like he took like a month of like Rosetta Stone courses and then... <laughs> It was just like, try, he, I got to try this out. Like, I got to try out ordering, you know, this this thing at this restaurant. Because it's very, like, stilted back and forth communication. 
but it's it's weird in that it seems like Atlantis is just open for business. Like if you can get there, like come on yeah. in, like you're welcome. And they just kind of let them in where it's not that I don't believe that they would do that, but they're very trusting for a culture that seemingly has been cut off from everybody else for 8,500 years or something yeah. to that extent. It's really weird. And then um, they've forgotten their own written language. Yeah. So the fact that Milo is kind of the one who's like, no, no, like this is, this is how you write in Atlantean. Um, he's the one that has to decipher all the stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And also the fact that they end up uh, deciding on English being the language that they're just gonna, <laughs> they're just gonna go with. And sure. whatever, I get that for the movie, but and it says that Atlantean is supposed to be the basis of many modern languages. So, okay. It's it's very weird because when we get further into it, like they get invited in, Leonard Nimoy, who is the king of Atlantis, is he looks like he's basically dead. Like he looks like he's on his deathbed. Yeah. He's he's struggling, and Kita brings the 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 outsiders inside and is basically telling him, "Hey, you know, look at these people who just came here, like." They might be able to help us figure out what we need to do. He is very dismissive of them. Work is trying to like negotiate some kind of, hey, well, maybe we'll just stay tonight. Maybe we'll, you know, just kind of catch our breath and then we'll leave. And so they work their way into getting to stay for a night, even though the king seems very like they should not be here. And I was like, trust your instinct. That's a good instinct to have. (laughs) Don't let them stick around. Um, But yeah, what we learned is that Kida is very concerned about what's going on in Atlantis. Apparently things are going south very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, their their crystal energy seems to be fading and like the just city itself seems to be crumbling, you know, around them. But the king is like, we're just going to die, I guess. Like that seems to be his, <laughs> his decree is that we're not going to really do anything about this. We don't need this outsider's help. We don't need anybody's help. Atlantis is Atlantis and will either live or die by our own accord, even though it seems like they're not really doing much to stop dying. But no. um, Kida, on the other hand, is very keen that Milo is the one to help save everybody. And she goes and she tracks him down and they start having this conversation. And this is the other part where this starts to get very left because you can speak to the Stephanie. It is discovered by milo that they don't know anything about atlantis like atlanteans have no clue about their culture or written language it is it is so funny that you know a group of people who often appropriate cultures um would be the one to tell you know another culture like no no no, this is actually how your culture works mm. um and I know that wasn't a thing in 2000 or 2001, but it, that in itself was funny to me. But yeah, like he gives her a crash course on what it means to be an Atlantean. All things, again, even if her dad wanted to be stingy with that knowledge, there had to be other elders around that uh, were at least privy or somewhat familiar to like just kind of the inner workings and secrets. And that was mind-boggling to me that this this, this cult the, this linguistic this guy who couldn't get a job and the thing that he went to school for um, was shoveling coal comes down and the thing that he's been obsessed with that has been a hobby he's able to finally like 
can make his own Reddit post and like <laughs> put it out there, all this information for how things are supposed to work. Like that was just mind blowing to me that, you know, we just roll with it. Yeah. Well, look. What white nonsense is this? Because I am, <laughs> this was where I was like, oh, okay. I guess this is what we're going to do now. It boggles my mind that one, they've been down here for 8,500 years is what Kita says. Yes. And part of what the uh, creators of the movie say is they kind of based this loosely on this story about Napoleon going to Egypt and being surprised that they, you know, like they couldn't read the language or like they didn't have any, you know, connections to ancient Egypt. And it's one thing, I mean, one, do you believe Napoleon? Two, (laughs) (laughs) it's one thing to come from this, this long, 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 long line of people where you know, even if you look at the English language, it has changed, you know, over time. Yeah. Like, uh, if, we're, if we're thinking of root dialects, things like Latin, like we don't speak Latin anymore. Like, okay, it's understandable that language and the way that we communicate would change over time, right? Yeah. But like you're saying, it's not that, you know, just generations have passed, people have died, culture evolved, things moved on, they stopped using, you know, this writing and, and switched to something else they were all alive back then. <laughs> yes, know? they were there when the city went down. And that I, not one library was saved. Yeah. Not one? Well, not um, even like you just don't remember. Like, that's why the beginning of the movie, I feel like they were trying to say more, but yeah. they didn't show more because, like you're saying, even if the king was like, oh, we're off that, we're not doing any of that anymore. Like, people just wouldn't forget how to, write or like read or any of the other things that they had learned how to do like and it, and it's not clear if anything has kind of overtaken the original language the original it seems like they just don't do shit like they just don't know <laughs> anything like it's just kind of this weird it's it's one thing to say oh yeah that was so long ago like we've right. you know evolved and moved into something else it's another thing to be like we just don't know how to read like we're it's, we're a completely illiterate culture, <laughs> who seemingly like because it's not even that they're illiterate, right? We see later on that they don't know how to operate their machinery. Who built this? Because <laughs> one of those people, I assume, is still alive and around and could just. And the most insulting part about it is when you figure out how this stuff works. It's like, it's not even this complicated set of maneuvers. It's you have to have your hand on it and then turn the key at the same time. And it's like yes. over 8,500 years and nobody tried that. Like they did everything did. else. And you know what, I thought like, even if it was a thing where the key mandated, like you cannot, like you will be stoned or whatever. If you happen yeah. to like, you know, pass on this information or do anything that we used to do before, I really still find it hard to believe that there wouldn't be at least one or two people who are just like, well, I'm not going to listen to you and I'm going to continue to like do this and pass on this information to my children and so on. And I guess we can get, well, when we get into like how this could have worked differently, I'll get into that. But Hmm. again, all of this being on the so- the shoulders of Milo is just it's asinine. I'm sorry. Like they're <laughs> like it's like they really 
storytelling wise, they, they didn't, they haven't done enough to like really sell me on the fact that there's a valid reason that this, these people wouldn't know their own culture in any kind of way. Yes. They're still wearing the crystals. I mean, come on, like yeah. nobody has questions about that. Because it's not even, it's not even some weird, like, oh, we all have dementia. Like we've been alive so long, but our brains are like, you know, they don't work the same that they used to. Everybody seems fine. They just seem to not be interested in uh, their own survival, I guess, or like, you know, I'm like, if you survive something like that, sure, if there's trauma, but like, and that in itself, I would think you would want to try to like, you know, figure out what you all can do moving forward to prevent that from happening again, mm -hmm. not just totally forget everything, so. Well, and then it's it's like a double, I need to get this drop in here, but it is a hyper combo of caucasity where not only does Milo do that, right? He, he says, oh, you don't know how to read your own language? Let me show you how to do that. Then Kida, uh, they're like climbing a rock and Kita says her full name and he turns to her and this is probably the moment where every person of color just kind of rolled their eyes and maybe even took a breath because he's she says her full name and he's like huh do you have a nickname I'll just call you Kita and it's like you the linguist <laughs> studied Atlantic, like you taught yourself how to speak this language. This is just somebody's name. Like this isn't like some elaborate phrase or anything that's too difficult to say. Like all of a sudden now you have to give this woman a nickname. Like you can't say her full name. If she was to say, my name is whatever, but just call me Kita or, you know, right. that's fine. But to just take it upon yourself to be like, oh, your name is too difficult for me to pronounce. Can you simplify that for me? because I, the linguist, cannot say that out loud, you know? It's just like, it's a while. I yelled. <laughs> because uh, the way that I remembered, I was like, did she say that her name was Keto? I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that was the nickname that he gave her. So anyway, wow. Yeah, so we're, we're getting into Milo more uh, here as he's just kind of seemingly loves Atlantean culture, but not enough to, to pronounce this woman's name all the know. way. And then this is where we get, we start getting into uh, what's going to become the main conflict of the movie is that Rourke is just your run-of-the-mill <laughs> colonialist colonizing, <laughs> kind of like, he's yeah. just like, look, they got stuff. I want stuff. I'm going to take it from them. I'll kill them if I have to. That doesn't really bother me. And starts to plan how to steal the power source, which is the crystal there's a there's a main crystal, which is basically called the heart of Atlantis. All the mm -hmm. Atlanteans have their own personal crystal, but there is a powerful crystal located somewhere in Atlantis that is a source of just like ever running energy. Like it would be like free energy, except, you know, work would just sell it to people. So it would be free for yeah. him and uh, cost everybody else some money. But before we can get there, this is the other part that I was just like, hold up a minute. They go for a swim. So Kida takes Milo under the water to go look at this. It's it's kind of like a hieroglyphic like explanation of how the crystal works and where it is. Mm -hmm. How does man hold his breath that long to get because they are swim they're underwater. Like it, this is not like a short let's just dive in here real quick. It's just right over here. This is like he's got to hold his breath upwards of 
eight minutes, something like yeah. that. He's he's like going full David Blaine, where he's just like, I'm gonna swim forever. She's Atlantean. I understand that she probably yeah, that makes sense. You know, him though again couldn't climb over a rock uh, twenty minutes ago. Now is just the expert swimmer, I guess. Well, you know, when you're trying to impress this exotic brown woman that you just met, that is you true. absolutely will hold your breath for as long as you can. So I just took it as well. And let's whatever. Let's, let's not gloss over Kida either, though, because we didn't really get to talk about her. Like Kida is great. Kida is another great character, mm -hmm. uh, voiced by Cree Summers, and is doing everything she can to keep Atlantis not afloat because they sank, but uh, keep Atlantis <laughs> going because like we said, her father seemingly has just phoned it in like he's done. Mm -hmm. um, so she's doing whatever she can to save Atlantis, try to figure out how to activate these crystals, how to get the city running again, operating again. You know, she's smart. She's competent. She's really not up for any of Milo's shit, like for the most yeah. part, like she's just kind of takes the the initiative and the lead and is is basically trying to get what she can out of him except when she admits that she can't read and do <laughs> like then then he becomes this this asset that she can't forego right like then mm -hmm. then he becomes he goes from oh like maybe this guy can help me to like he's the key to everything for Atlantis which is a, a real wild turn but i like Kita. i think she had yeah. a lot more to offer than the movie gave her to do but i guess we will also talk about that later when we get to revisions but yeah from here there's there's not a ton left that happens like work once they come out of the water and this is the other part that somebody's gonna have to explain to me but he and the rest of the crew apparently are just like so we're just gonna take everything here and like you included, like you, you are. Yeah, like we're, <laughs> we're, we're taking you back. Yeah, we're gonna strong arm you and everything here. And in the, just the most like stunning part of this film, they go in, Leonard Nimoy's had a heart attack, I guess, or something of that nature at this point. And Sweet, I guess this is where Sweet like kind of defects from everything else because he goes to take care of the king. And what we find is the, the key, to getting to the heart of Atlantis is basically just walking over the shallow pool in front of the king's throne, which similar to activating the ships that they had, like nobody ever just walked over that at some point in 8,500 years. Like it, I, it wasn't complicated. It was, it was eight, that's, and that's another thing where they kind of shoot themselves in the foot. For like that that really long time period, it's just really unbelievable that not one time like was there a scary story told? Like if you happen across this, then you will be eaten alive. Like at least give me a little bit of that, but yeah. they don't. So it's just kind of like oh, so we could have just walked, and then we would have been good. But yeah, it's just it's yeah. right in front of the throne the whole time. Uh, they just walk over it. It opens up. It lets them down, and we see the heart of Atlantis is kind of it's basically like the ancestors of mm -hmm. you know from before and like their energy is put into sustaining atlantis so i guess kita's mother is in there as well because she in the beginning of the movie is kind of beamed up into this energy source 
And so Kida is apparently chosen to be next as like the next person to help power this crystal. So she gets sucked into the crystal. Again, very confused because when she comes out, she looks like she's an Omega level mutant. Like she looks like she's got like powers beyond powers and then just lets them, she just lets work take her. Like it's very weird. (laughs) Um, Because if anything, because I think I was like misremember, um, I wasn't remembering correctly. And I'm like, does she like go off? Is she like set everything off? Is she's like, is she trying to kill them? And like, no, she just gets right into the box. Yeah. And just like, okay, well, bye. Yeah, she just walks into this cage that they have set up for her. And they begin to take her away. Like we said before, the, the crew starts to, you know, there's a small mutiny because I guess everybody else is not okay with them killing Atlantis. Like, that's mm-hmm. basically what's going to happen. They take the crystal out. Everybody in Atlantis is going to die. So everybody, Vinny, Audrey, uh, Moliere, Cookie, Miss Packard, Sweet, say, no, we're not going to help you do that. We're not going to help you kill these people. Helga's like, I guess I'll help you kill these people if there's money in it for me. <laughs> but, you know, work just pieces out. Like, he's got Kida, he's got the heart, like, he's going to leave. And then Milo is just like, all right, I guess I guess I'm in charge now. I'm going to lead this. Yeah. There's a very weird line before where I think the king of Atlantis, as he's dying, is like, insinuates that Milo is the key. And I don't mm-hmm. know why that is or what would make that true. But it's also interesting here that no other Atlantean has any autonomy or any desire to save themselves or save Kida or stop they just kind of stand around and watch like what can I do to stop these people from <laughs> killing me uh yeah, like, like it's a bunch of older like in the same state as the king like it's some young folks around and they're just kind of yeah. looking at each other like well we had a good run <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's one thing if you just don't want to show them senselessly being gunned down, I guess, yeah. if that's the alternative. But they don't even really, they seem more forlorn than like viscerally upset that they're about yeah. to be more, like, they're just kind of like, damn, I guess, should I, should I got that crystal first? I don't know. Like, it doesn't really seem like they are in any real like urgent, I mean, nobody tries to stop work from leaving. They don't have any other i mean that's you know we keep harping on 8500 years but like you didn't invent a single thing else in 85 like nothing like no not other... even another bridge not a backup right. nothing <laughs> like if not weapons at least things to defend yourself with you know yeah. like it's just kind of like you decided that that 8500 years whatever happened before it was enough like we're just not even going to try for civilization yeah. anymore so then Milo teaches them all how to ride these ships and apparently he knows how to ride these ships and apparently knows how to fight and do a bunch of other things that we don't know. <laughs> like he says that like Kita showed him how to use the ship. So again, like it's not like Kita doesn't know anything. And then it's yeah. not like Kita wasn't capable of figuring things out. The only problem was she couldn't read anything so like even that being the right so even that being the the thing that kind of stops her from being the hero is also just weird so 
they all hop aboard these ships after Milo has shown them how to, to use them. It's like it's like a quarter turn to the left and to the right, and then just yeah. gently place your hand. It's like, oh wow, yeah, that was very complicated. Yeah, we just we had so long to try every combination, but the one, the simplest one, is the one we never even attempted. So they chase down Rourke, uh, who is trying to escape through. They're in a, like they're basically Atlantis is basically next to a volcano at this point. Like mm-hmm. there is like a volcano, a dormant volcano right nearby. So they're going up the volcano shaft. Work turns on Helga and just throws her out the, the ship. It um, actually kind of surprised me a little bit because I didn't remember them. It's like oh wait. Because I thought maybe so. What I was thinking is like she was gonna land on one of the flying. Um, I don't know, like land on the back of someone's little flying uh, fish ship or whatever, but that's yeah. not what happened. She just falls to the to the bottom, and is like, I guess if she's not dead, she's not walking ever no. again. <laughs> so, no. uh, but she's got enough left to shoot up and kind of stop them from getting out. She frees uh, Kita, so Milo and Rourke are fighting back and forth. Milo. I don't know if this was something that he just intuited or was just a lucky guess, but he uses the crystal that he got from the king to slash Rourke, which turns him into a crystal person, basically is what happens. Like he he turns into glass and then is shattered by the propellers. <laughs> it's very it's very violent here at the end. It's very much so like we're going to start shooting, we're going to start blowing everybody up. The airship crashes and the volcano starts going off but they all manage to get to relative safety and that's when Kida wakes up and uses her new omega mutant powers to basically save atlantis she awakens all the stone guardians around and atlantis kind of like it doesn't rise you know what i mean like it's not like it's back yeah. where it used to be but it is it's positioned differently and mm-hmm. basically a hundred percent revitalized so the very end of the movie, the crew that went down, so again, Vinny and Sweet and Audrey and the rest, return to the surface, but promise to keep Atlantis a secret, like they and Whitmore just decide that they're not going to tell anybody that Atlantis exists and leave those people alone. Milo decides to stay with Kida. Of course. It's a very muddied unclear like what that relationship is because they kind of hint at romance Mm -hmm. there are parts where they're holding hands he gives them a kiss on the cheek but that's about as much as we get milo is now in a position of power in atlantis uh which is also weird uh (laughs) but it's not clear whether he's just an advisor or if he's like part of the royal family now or He's just the, he's the educator of everybody in Atlanta. He's going to teach everybody how to read and uh, reignite Atlantean culture, I guess, by himself. But that's, that's the end of the movie. Like, he stays behind to be with Kida and revitalize Atlantis. <laughs> that's what he was pretty much doing. Yeah, not with the Red Cross, but, um, and I'd even have a tat for humanity, but. <laughs> mission work he's doing yeah, mission work yeah. in atlantis yeah okay yeah all right uh so here's here's where you know if you're listening to this and this is your favorite movie ever 
maybe don't listen to the rest because <laughs> I, I have a lot of thoughts about Milo and it's not that I even think that Milo is is a bad character or bad mm-hmm. as like morally bad person but so much of what this movie does and how it treats him as a character and and pushes him to the forefront as like main character main protagonist at the expense of you know the other characters but also just in a way that it like logic doesn't connect like milo for somebody who who continuously tells us he loves atlantis he loves atlantean culture etc etc he seems to not listen to the people of atlantis and instead is doing a lot of things because it's his dream and like this is what he's always wanted to do and that's one of my biggest criticisms of milo the character is that he has a dream right and that's Mm -hmm. it like that's his character he's always dreamed of going to atlantis the end like there's nothing else behind him his grandfather wanted to go to atlantis so he wants to go to atlantis he i we don't really know why atlantis means anything to him or like what he hopes to get it seems like what he hopes to get from going to atlantis at least before he knew there were people there was fame and like to finally be able to laugh in the face of all the people who told him that this was just fantasy like uh it seems like he's he's basically out for his own personal like come up of look what i found that all you idiots thought didn't exist and now i get to be foremost Atlantean expert and gloat about all this stuff but like he doesn't really seem to have any character traits outside of I want to find Atlantis I know a lot about Atlantis which is not that interesting of a character I guess I would say no but it's it works as a character and why folks um probably uh, you know like really sent for him pretty hard is because Mm that's kind of harmless like his motivations are harmless in a way that it's not because he wants to go for gold or treasure or any of that it's just really for bragging rights yeah so in that way like you're like well you know he just wants to go there he just wants to say hi and you know visit (laughs) and that be it so he's not a bad character and again like he isn't a bad character that milo actually isn't really necessary The, the character milo isn't the problem it's the way that the story is told where he ends up being the savior for this culture like that's the problem and Mm -hmm. i think him compared to like other white saviors that we've seen in other movies um he's probably the most harmless but probably because he is the most harmless that is why he is the most insidious Mm. because it's hard to well not hard but you know saying that he is a white savior and you know therefore bad you don't want to hear that because he hasn't really done anything bad. Like he's right. this mousy guy, wears glasses, he's giving twink energy on top of that. <laughs> um, so like, I, I, I get it. Like I get why for this movie, like a lot of folks really love that character because there's a lot to love about him. Um, he's mm. not a Rourke. Um, he isn't um, an Indiana Jones or any of like these, ugh, I can't believe I'm about to say this, alpha male. Mm. characters or whatever so he's he's harmless well because i think there's there's a lot to unpack from what you just said but specifically the idea of him being more insidious because of that harmlessness because i think that this is we'll get into this very shortly but a lot of the defense of milo as a character and as not a white savior 
comes from people who basically say that, right? They say that, yeah. oh, like he didn't, he didn't come down there like work did. He wasn't trying to colonize these people or take from them. And I think there's, there's something there because when you get to the very end, this was the thing that I was a little put off by is like, it seems like Milo still didn't see Atlanteans as people, but rather as an yeah. opportunity. Like this was like, oh, I, now I get to study Atlantis like up close and personal. Like now I get to I get to live Atlantis. Like even it's it's beyond study. Like I get to immerse myself in Atlantean culture and kind of almost become, you know, like a, a, a proto-Atlantean myself. Where it's like, okay, but these are like people though, right? Like these yeah. are like other I don't know if I don't know if they're human beings. It's kind of unclear in terms of like if they are like they seem to be people, but they have magical powers, but it's like his consideration is not for their humanity or for their um, autonomy as much as it is like he's seeing this as another opportunity for himself to now learn even more about Atlantis and, and become, you know, uh, even more of a scholar on Atlantis. But the people right like don't you like this they're not you know an experiment or like a study and this is kind of what you get a lot of the times like you mentioned before the missions or things where you know people go to these other cultures and these other places to study them not really treating them like humans as much as like you know scientific data and inquiry and that's kind of what i got from milo there at the end is like i don't know if he's still like it's clicked all the way for him that like Kita is not like 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 this isn't like an anthropological study that you're gonna do where you're gonna like get these field readings and like you know write down you know conversations with these people and then go publish a paper or whatever like you know if you're gonna be a part of this culture like you should be a part of this culture and not like separate from it in the way that it felt like he wanted to be. It almost feels like you know his want and need to save Atlantis is really to preserve it yeah in that way not because if this doesn't happen these people will die like there was never a point and maybe a little bit for Kita but like there was never a point in this movie where I felt like no 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 he wants to save these people because um they need help it was more so like no like if Atlantis is destroyed then how do I get to tell folks mm. or like I don't know like how dream or my hobby or whatever will be like no more like I want to preserve that like I've been obsessed right. with this place since I was little like I want to make sure that it stays alive because of my personal ties to it but yeah. not necessarily because these people need help well let's let's talk a little bit about how this movie was received when it came out again it came out in 2001 budget was about 120 million box Damn, office was really? Yeah, it was budget oh, budget okay. is listed as between 90 to 120 million. What? The box office for it was 186.1 million. So, it made money by Disney standards, it was not a success. Mm -mm. But for a lot of other studios, they might be like, "Hey, you know, like for as much money as we put into this for us to get something back, you know, on the back end is like that's a thumbs up." It did also, as we said before, come out the same year as Shrek and, and uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, which people do kind of point to being a little bit of why it didn't do as well 
I think there's there's other reasons, primarily because it was not in the vein of a lot of other Disney movies. It wasn't a musical. It wasn't straight up a G movie for kids. It was kind of trying to skirt a line between a more adult film and still remaining like a family-friendly film. With the making of it, it is kind of interesting because they did a lot like they put a lot into it. So like yeah. they they invented a whole language. Like Mark Okrend, who developed the Klingon language for Star Trek, also developed the Atlantean language for this movie, which is weird because it doesn't really play a role in the film as much as you would think, right? Like there's the few moments where he's translating it. And then there's the brief moments where they're having that conversation when they first meet. And then I don't think anybody really speaks Atlantean ever again. No, uh, it, it just disappears. <laughs> but he, he collected his check and went home. And, and, you know, he did do the written language and we do see more of that. There was also at the very beginning, a, a little glimpse of what could have been. Apparently Joss Whedon was signed on to write the movie. <laughs> he was the first writer on the film, but then had to go do something else and says that, you know, nothing that he wrote made it into the movie at all. So that's it's probably for the best. <laughs> I can like, I'm getting chills just thinking of what he wrote. Yeah. I, and that's not good chills. That is like, right. I have the flu. <laughs> I think I think Kida definitely got off better uh, you, with them not yeah. being involved in this movie. There were also talks of Milo being a direct descendant of uh, Blackbeard the pirate, which would of have been course. a, a yeah. weird. I don't really know why that would have been a good idea, but uh, <laughs> that was something well, they were know, thinking Disney about. Disney and their pirates. Uh, this actually got a water like a, a ride at Disneyland. It was supposed to. Here's the. Here's oh, it the, didn't. Oh, it didn't. Okay, yeah, I thought it here, did. All right. Because the movie did so poorly by Disney standards, because they were really getting ready to like push this thing, right? So this move, this was going to be a, it was going to be a ride at Disney World. This was also going to be a TV show. Like there was going to be like a Milo's Adventures TV show. Because the reception of the movie was not great, they canned the ride. That ride eventually became the. Uh, find a Nemo ride. Oh, I think okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah, they were just kind of like, here's another aquatic thing that we could just repurpose this again. And people actually like this one. And then the TV show, what, what would have been, got remade into Atlantis Milo's Return, which was like three episodes. It kind of put into one to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was going to be a continuing adventures of Milo and, you know, the, the crew which was strange because where the movie left off, I didn't think they would ever see each other. Right. <laughs> it kind of seemed like not a place for a sequel to LA. I'm sure they had something in mind where why he would leave Atlantis to go do other things, but that was the plan. And then that all of that just fell through. The reception to the movie, not great, not terrible, but right. uh, not, not amazing. So on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 49%. On Metacritic, it's got like about 50%. The cinema score when it came out was an A. So, I mean, people did like the movie when they saw it, but it wasn't, again, this kind of smash hit that a lot of the other, like Dizzy was on a roll and this kind of like brought a lot of that to a halt. Some critics, you know, like Roger Ebert liked it, gave it three out of five stars. Oh, three and a half stars out of four, sorry. Uh, Even better. And... You know, they're like generally 
people who praised the movie, it was a lot about how the animation style was. Like, mm-hmm. it was very dynamic and inventive. And people who were fans of, again, the Jules Verne style adventure storytelling, like it had a real pulp feel to it. The people who didn't like the movie were just kind of like, this was kind of all over the place. And there was a lot of pushback to it being a non-musical and, you know, just a real departure from a lot of what Disney was doing at the time. That brings us to the current day. Oh, and last thing too, there was a little bit of a controversy that didn't really get resolved because there was a anime called Nadia, the Secret of Blue Water, which was out in Japan around the early 90s. And people have pointed out a lot of similarities from that to Atlantis and basically claim that they ripped this show off like bar for bar for the most part. They say that the director of Atlantis uh, basically shot back and said, we didn't know that was a thing. Um, You know, like it's... It seems like it's coincidence. It seems like, you know, both of us really were just drawing off of, you know, the Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. We we both had the same inspiration. And so we kind of made the same thing. But other people have said there's a lot more than just that. Like there's the idea of the crystals, you know, powering the civilizations and some other things that people kind of kind of give a little bit of a side eye to. One of the people who were working on it went as far as to say that we would have sued them, but we like the there was a studio that was over top of them, and they were like, we don't want to we don't want to mess with the mouse. Like we're not trying to get into that business. But yeah, cer- certain people who were working on that show felt strongly enough that they were like, we probably have a case if we if we take them to court, but that never transpired. So, but fast forward in the present day. People, at least in in terms of like a real cult following, like people love this movie. They love Milo. They love all the characters. There's a lot of praise for the diversity within this movie. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. praise for the anti-capitalist and anti-colonialist ideology that people see in this movie. And it has, it's hard to tell. Like I'm trying to narrow it down in terms of like, is it people who saw this movie when it came out and are finally remembering it in a wave of nostalgia because they liked it at the time and they are trying to not trying to like make it a thing but yeah. you know like they they genuinely liked it back then and like have the same feelings today or it seems like there's also a younger generation of people who also very much love this movie and feel along the lines of things people have said it's it's a lost classic it's the best Disney movie ever made. It's, you know, underrated. It was ahead of its time. People didn't understand it when it came out. All of the things that people say about movies that were not well-received at the time. And so there's there's a lot of people who love, 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 love this movie and really push back against the idea of Milo being a white savior character. And I would like to read some of uh, the things that I found uh, to you because I think it is very interesting and important to kind of discuss these these arguments that people have. So this is from a Tumblr post. The initial post is basically asking like, it's, it's talking about Audrey and you know how much they love the character. Somebody then kind of chimes in and says they have a love-hate relationship with the movie. It's got awesome POC characters who kind of defy different stereotypes. But then they have an issue with Milo who 
basically, you know, a white savior comes in, teaches these people everything about themselves and how, you know, he seemingly has a better understanding of their culture and language than they do. So then as, as the internet does, uh, somebody chimes in right beneath them and I'll read it verbatim. Hey, fuck you, okay? Milo was the antithesis of a white savior. He was a nerdy, useless little shit who was cowardly till others forced him to act. His only strengths were his mind and his ethics. He was the perfect dude for the job, and the reason he knew better was because he rigorously studied texts that had been lost or destroyed in Atlantis because Keith's father intentionally let his kingdom lapse into decay and obscurity. Don't pull that white savior bullshit because Milo was a damn good dude. That was written in all caps. So, <laughs> parsing that, right, what you're getting is how could he be a white savior? He was kind. He was like, he didn't want to do certain things until people made him do it. He had ethics and, you know, he studied real hard to know more about Atlantis. And the vibe that I'm getting from that is, and this is a, this is an important thing to, to draw on and talk about. When you talk about allyship and you talk about people mm -hmm. who want to do the right thing and you talk about people who are good natured and, and mean well, right? A lot of the times, when they fuck up and do things people say but you know how could they x y and z like you know they they've done so much for those people you know <laughs> like they're 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 down for the cause yada 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 but what people don't really consider is did those people ask for that help right because when you even if you just think about gentrification or something like that right mm -hmm. and you think about somebody coming into somebody else's neighborhood and suggesting initiatives and things that they could do to make the neighborhood better and help out and ooh, we should raise money and funds and we could put that money into you know a new community center or like this that and the third and it's like did the people in that community ask for a community center though or did they ask for a grocery store or did they ask for money going to, to schools or did they ask mm -hmm. for right and it, so it has that air of like i know better for you than you know for yourself and so let me help you because you don't know how to do that yeah and that, <laughs> and that and that really is the thing the problem is because it robs those people of their agency mm -hmm. um and it just perpetuates this this um I don't know, like this, this stereotype that, you know, black or brown people or just indigenous folks are unable to figure things out for themselves in a way that is going to be sustainable and helpful. And that's, that's the problem. And that's why I say that Milo's, Milo is an insidious kind of white savior trope character because of all those good things, um, because he has, you know, all these merits. So, that, that becomes the center of everyone's argument and you don't get to really dissect and get to the root of it. And the problem is that the way that the story is told, it's these Atlanteans who have been like harnesses power, clean energy, all of that um, for the last 8,500 years have done absolutely nothing. And then this white guy comes and like breaks the <laughs> gates open and saves everything. And that's the problem. So it's not that... Milo himself is bad. No, that's not necessarily what we're saying. We're just saying that the way um, that the story props him up, that he is the savior for uh, people that I guess were incapable of um, helping themselves. And that's, that is really wild to me. Yeah. Um, that 
all the, you know, different civilizations um, are doing so terribly until white people come to make things better. Make things better or make things their own, right? Like, mm -hmm. because you're not doing it the way that we do it, or you're not doing it in a way that we understand, obviously it's bad or uh, wrong. And so we have to come in and correct, right? Like yeah. there's stories about tribes from Africa from just long, long, long ago who figured out so much, you know, in terms of mathematics and like the way that the planets revolved around the earth and the solar system and like we're able to have like pseudo star maps and like map out yeah. you know planetary rotations and people are like how could they do that they don't know math and it's like well they <laughs> did it like when people checked their charts they were correct because they had formed their own way of mapping the stars and they did know a form of math it wasn't the math that you know or is not the math right. that you accept but like math for their culture and their civilization they had worked that out and i think that that happens a lot where people come in having good intentions does not absolve you of doing harm like you could mm -hmm. <laughs> want to do well or mean to do well and like even there's another comment under that person's comment that basically says you know milo never asks for thanks or wants to make a name for himself he does what he does because he loves it and he wants to keep his grandfather's legacy alive and that, you know, he's mostly just an observer and all he wants to do is know more about Atlantis. But again, that being an observer is kind of a creepy thing, right? Like to observe a culture from within it where it's, it's, it's like they're people still, right? Like, I mean, like yeah. if, you, if you want to, there's nothing wrong with, you know, learning more about a culture and this is where we get into cultural appropriation and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like, you can appreciate a culture and you can want to learn more about it, you know, whether it's the language, whether it's the food, but it's when you either A, try to take on that culture as your own and you're not a part of it and nobody invited you and nobody said, yeah, this is, and even if somebody did say it's cool, like it doesn't make it cool universally across the board. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, like to try and look at a culture from that kind of like cold analytical standpoint, like I didn't get the sense that, I don't know if there is an Atlantean cookout, but like, I don't know if he's going to yeah. be, be going to it, you know, in that way. Cause that's, that's really what's so strange about this movie is that aside from Kita, Atlantis has no identity, right? Like the people of Atlantis have no identity. The people of Atlantis display nothing resembling culture, nothing resembling any dominant like identity aside from we had stuff once upon a time and now yeah. don't know how any of that works anymore. It's uh, so weird because I'm even thinking of unfortunately Pocahontas, but like mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, even in that, in that Disney movie, um, you know, you have moments where uh, she's showing John like the way things work and like this is how we do things and we, you know, whatever. But there really is no moment there in this. Um, so that even makes it doubly strange that uh -huh. he's just there and we know nothing about Atlantis. Like we found yeah. it, but we still don't know anything about it. And that's another reason why I'm just kind of like, a little confused as to how this movie is celebrated 
the way that it is because it didn't add anything to the lore of Atlantis um, in any kind of way that couldn't be just, well, like you could have read that off a Wikipedia page. Um, like yeah, <laughs> a loss, you know, the city was, we don't even really understand how the city came, you know, it's, it's demise. Cause like it's glossed over and like, the king telling you know what happened and his yeah. keepers getting the best of him and all of that but that's that's it and it's a shame because i think this is a good part to transition into to remaking this movie that there there are a lot of things to like about this film and atlantis itself is a very interesting piece of mythology you know it's it's there's a lot of theories some of them maybe you could kind of track some sense of logic, some of them way out there. Uh, people, yeah. people have opinions, but it's, and it seems like they, like they put in a lot of work into Atlantis, right? Like the, the idea of Atlantis, the concept of Atlantis, Atlantis is a place. And if they had put that much work into some of the other parts, I think that would have made a better movie. Instead, they just kind Absolutely. of like stopped at a certain point because the, the very key of this whole thing is the decision to make the Atlanteans, I don't know what they would classify them as if you talk to the directors of this movie, if they would say that they were indigenous people, if they would say that they were people of color. Cree Summers definitely they sees them as peaceful color, sees herself as a Disney princess, even though Kida is not officially a Disney princess. So there are there are kind of some confusing tastes but like they're clearly not white people <laughs> yeah so really. that's that's kind of where things get tricky is when you have milo coming in as a white man basically not just saving the like if he had saved the day okay you know fine yeah. like that that's one thing but to be an expert on a culture that these people have forgotten and know nothing about and coming in and basically telling them who they are and like everything about themselves feels wrong reads wrong is wrong um and i think there's there's ways to kind of do this movie because one of the things that the people who really love this movie keep coming back to and demanding is a live action version of this movie i don't know if that would fly in terms of like a one-to-one like we would have to do a lot of work on some stuff but in your mind, if you were to kind of flip this movie to remove the white savior narrative and kind of recenter the POC in the movie, what, what would be your go-to? Uh, so maybe Milo still exists, but he's more of a secondary character and, ro- and work still remains the antagonist. And we have it where Kita and maybe, I don't know, like another small group of Atlanteans are like trying to uncover the truth of, you know, how Atlantis was before things, you know, demise. The the residents or whatever, like the civilization itself is still doing something. Cause it looked like they were just set, they were just living. Like they were <laughs> like, it's food. Um, that is from enough um, reason why I said it like that. Cause they're just kind of like, just there, yeah. um, just kind of living. Um, so if there if there was something like we could actually see like what the culture is now, is it anything? Is it like a, a newer culture since things have happened? Um, is there a remixing? But 
Kita and just another small group of Atlanteans are like trying to uncover the truth because the crystals are dying and they need to figure out what's going on. And maybe Milo steps in because he has a piece of the puzzle that they were missing because it was literally missing and they didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And he just so happened to have it because um, his grandfather found it or whatever. But ultimately, Kita ends up being the one to save her people with a little assistance from Milo. If we if we have to involve him in some way, then yeah. I would be, I would, that would still be annoying, but I would be okay with that. That would be <laughs> a little bit more unbelievable. But we know that there, there are actually people and not like this this uh living museum exhibit because that's kind of how milo treats Mm, them a little bit so it would definitely have to be that it would have to be um i need to see some of their culture i need to see like they have the capability of saving themselves they're just literally missing a piece to be able to do and he brings it i mean that's really one of my bigger criticisms of the movie as well is that if we're gonna talk about colonialism if we're gonna Mm -hmm. talk about capitalism if we're gonna talk about even the way that you know, museums can be complicit in colonialism in terms of like taking these, you know, pieces and artifacts from these cultures and they're just saying, well, it's in our collection now, so you can't have it back. And I guess if if you want to see it, you can come to our museum and look at it. But, you know, it's just like, but that doesn't belong to you. Like that was literally stolen from these people and now you're displaying it like it was just like, yeah, like a like a piece of art where it is like actually a, a part of somebody's culture. And you know what? And it made me think of just like quickly Black Panther because that's actually saying something about colonial colonialism yeah. and um, the way museums work and you know just how just terrible all of that is. So even if there was a moment where I don't know, like Milo at the at his job or something, and just maybe him talking about you know some of the displays that they had or maybe like the lost piece of atlantis is on display at the museum and he discovers this or something like that um and we see that because it's the sitting in someone's museum this whole civilization is getting ready to meet its demise because this is on display for folks to see that would have been a moment to kind of like bring home the point like hey this is actually really bad um, that you're charging people $27 on the weekend to come look at this <laughs> thing and eat stale popcorn. Um, this entire civili- civilization is getting ready to crumble because of that. Well, now we're getting to our uh, last two segments where we first have to grade this movie on our capacity meter. So let me explain the, the grades that we have, and then you can come to a decision of, of which one this meets. So our first grade is Shirts in the Winter, which is like, okay, that's an interesting choice. You know, like I wouldn't do that. That seems like it's hurting you. Uh, I'm not quite sure why this is happening. It's not doing any harm to me, but I, but I worry about you. And uh, <laughs> like, maybe you should reconsider your decisions, right? The second level is this movie is touching my hair, which is like, Oh, now you're in my space. You're encroaching on on my own personal well-being. We've crossed a line here where, like, it's it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's still bad, and you should probably stop and make another choice. The last level is Taylor Swift's cover of September, which is like you have you're actively doing harm to me, and you know what you're doing is wrong. Like you you have to have known 
when you made this choice that this is like all kinds of fucked up yet you did it anyways thinking that you were going to improve upon something or like you were trying to make a point about something and it's it's completely failed and has done like immeasurable damage to the world at large so where do you think that atlantis the lost empire falls on that list oh it's definitely hey don't touch my hair Um, And I give it that because um, there are a lot of choices that were made that possibly or no should be uh, rethought. Um, Yeah. Because faith level, it's a solid movie. We just need to, we need to remix some things um, because it could work. Like if they, again, like I said, if they do a live action, if they rewrite some things, then this could be something that um, actually says something. I mean, that actually for real says something yeah um it doesn't kind of hide behind poc characters and making milo the nice guy yeah i would also say this movie touching my hair because as we talked about before just the kind of low-key insidious nature of how milo is presented and how quickly people jump to cape for him when people do point out that this is basically a white savior narrative because you know they just they they don't want to see it but it's also like the idea that even somebody attempting to help can do harm, right? Is something mm-hmm. that a lot of people just don't want to get, you know, like it's because that kind of maybe points a finger at them where they say, am I that person you know, yeah. trying, trying to help and, you know, unintentionally doing harm? Because that's the thing about intentions, whether you intended to do it or not, the results remain the same. So even if you didn't think you were doing something harmful and harm has levels like you know yeah. it could it could be it could be something awful but you know it could be something small but like those small little incidents do accumulate over time so if you keep doing it you know like that's something to, to check yourself for but yeah I, you know there there's a lot of things about this movie that I did enjoy primarily the animation you know, I did like a lot of the other characters. I just wish that we got more of those characters, like mm-hmm. the small bits of Kida, of Audrey, of Sweet that we did get made me really want more. And the bits of Milo that we did get, it wasn't even like get him completely out of here, but I, I would have happily given up half of Milo's character arc for, you know, more of a, a arc of some of these other characters. Um, Absolutely. So before we get out of here, I want to get, if you have a recommendation of a movie that people should watch instead. Ooh. Okay. Well, it's not an animation though. That's fine. Okay. I'm going to say Fast Colors Um, because this is a movie where, well, the world has gone to shit, but (laughs) this generation of Black women um, are the key, but they go on their own terms uh, and decide to help. So that is a movie that I highly recommend, which surprisingly uh, was written by a white woman and directed by a white woman. But, um, you know, it shows that, hey, it's white people are capable of telling stories where uh, people of color can have agency and white people don't necessarily get in the way to save the day. So um, Fast Colors is going to be the one that I'll go ahead and recommend. I have a recommendation that is similar to that, and that is it is a movie made by white people, but does a great job of recontextualizing and redoing some West African folk tales, uh, and that's Kiriku and the Sorceress. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, yes. It is an animated film about 
Karaku, who's a, a newborn <laughs> baby, uh, who kind of like is, is he's a baby, but he's also like a, he's grown, you know, mm -hmm. like he can, he can talk and walk and do all kinds of other things. But like, draw, it's a fantasy film. Uh, it draws a lot on just kind of West African folklore and is, it's it's very fun it also has like a lot of just like sentimental moments like i don't know if you remember the scene where like karaku just like kind of crawls into his grandfather's lap there's like oh karaku <laughs> last i saw that was on criterion but i think you can find it in a lot of other places I don't oh, think yeah i think you can it's that exclusive maybe i did watch it there because i'm like did, where did i watch that <laughs> probably there but anyway you it's it's 2021 you can find the movie yeah yeah for sure <laughs> All right. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bringing the onslaught that will be people's response <laughs> to this episode into our inbox. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, but before we get out of here, please, 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 please tell people where they can find you, plug all your stuff. People should definitely follow Stephanie everywhere and beyond. So tell us what you got coming in the rest of the year. And So uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok. Um, mm. All of it is at Steph underscore I underscore Will. Uh, you go to whystuff.com to check out some of the stuff that I have going on as far as like writing um, and projects. And as far as upcoming things that I can talk about, uh, please, 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 please check out Nubia and the Amazons. It's a mini series, six issues. But what I will say is that mm. it's not the last that you will get of Nubia. So if you're a little upset because, oh, it's just a mini series, I, I just rest easy, be a little patient, um, that that won't be the last that you see of her. And just be on the lookout because I've got other stuff coming that I really want to talk about, but I can't do that on my suit. All right. <laughs> well, we got we got a little bit of an exclusive there. So that's, that's good yeah. enough. Um, well, I'm Jordan Clark. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at JRSosa18, J-R-S-O-S-A-1-8. You can follow our podcast, White People Won't Save You, at white underscore pod. And you can write to us at white people won't save you pod at gmail.com. Please, please, please write us about this episode. I'm very, very curious to, to hear what people think. If you love this movie and you want to tell us why we're wrong, if you agree with us and you want to give us your own revisions of how you would redo Atlantis the Lost Empire, you know, do all the things you do with your podcast, rate us, subscribe to us, all that good stuff. But we'll be here to save you next week. Thanks. can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you